listening to Achievements and Strategies. I'm Brian Franklin. My guest today, Brendan Buckley, drummer for Perry Farrell, Shakira, Falana Detal, the Spam All Stars in the Ooh. past. All right, all types, <laughs> of, all types of people, which we'll get into. He's uh, Damian Rice, Shelby Lynn, Miley Cyrus. He's even worked with uh, Tegan and Sarah. Um, uh, the Bodines, you you name it. Uh, it just the list is huge, and um, and we'll get into all of that. Um, but but first, uh, as as always, I just have to do a quick recognition of my sponsor, Amazeco. That's uh, A M A Z E K O. They do uh, home and office supplies, as you can see, Brent, uh, Brendan. I'm sure your uh, eight year old. I'm sure you might even like this. It's a tape dispenser shaped like a banana with a monkey on top that. Claps its symbols as you pull the tape, right? You of all people I am should incredibly envious. Should right have now. one of these. Um, uh, they're they're uh, very affordable on Amazon. Amazeco, A M A Z E K O, and they have other products like pencil sharpeners that light up and things like that. So thank you to them, and Brendan Buckley. Uh, I have known for. Uh, longer than I care to admit, um, just based on our, like, Brendan, you, you're roughly, you're a year younger than me, and you look 20 years younger than me, which speaks, <laughs> which speaks to the way that you've taken care of yourself, probably, but also, um, uh, probably your, your, you know, just, just the, my bad genes, there might be part of it, um, but you, you, you still look like you're, like, late, 20s early 30s which is incredibly annoying uh, uh but but uh, also admirable at the same time how do you how do you do yeah it? well thank you <laughs> well there's a lot of illegal uh rituals that are not um uh, approved by the united states i yeah. have to go to some China. voodoo island somewhere and yeah uh, <laughs> you, you, you like snorting that rhino horn stuff in china or yeah, yeah. it's stuff that i can't really uh, disclose at this moment, but I, you know we'll, we can chat afterwards. I'll, I'll oh, give you some man. of my my tips. Please do. Yeah, no, it's time. No, I really think it's probably it's healthy living and genes combined. I yeah, think. It, it, you know, is healthy living. I mean, obviously, you have demands of touring, which which um, man, I don't know this 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 compressor is just going crazy. Um, you have the demands of touring, which uh, you have to, you know, kind of keep yourself into in check to to make sure that you're uh, um, okay and, and and can keep up with the touring. But is it, rock and roll partying? Are those days were, were they ever with you? I mean, was that was that something that was ever a thing for you, or was that were you always, uh, you know, this this uh, healthy? You know what? I would say I've I've fluctuated over the years because mm-hmm. I think in general I I lean toward the side of being very disciplined, kind of um, focused, taking care of myself. Uh, you know, I uh, back when I remember back in high school when Straight Edge was in. You know, I don't remember that. Like you know, hardcore and you don't drink, you don't smoke, yeah, you don't, I don't do drugs, that. you don't do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, and then I was like super Buddhist for a while. So I didn't partake in this. I didn't partake in that. All I wanted to do was get better at the drums and be a better musician. But as you know, with most people, if you leave a very lead, a very rigid, inflexible lifestyle, you tend to snap every now and then. So I've had moments where I've gone the entire opposite direction where I'm like, 
I'm tired of this. I just want to have fun. And yeah. you go a little nuts for a while. And then you got to rein it back in again and then find who you are. And then so I have to admit that although most people know me as a quite kind of together person, I've had my my moments of debauchery and yeah. and uh, waking up in the gutter also. Yeah. But uh, that's not generally who I am. Yeah. Yeah. I um, you're uh, well, re- recently, are you still touring with or are you about to tour with Perry? Uh, like, who are you who are you working with right now um, in the studio? And who are you planning? Like, do you have gigs planned uh, coming up? Sure. Well, obviously, we're, we're speaking at the tail end of what would be this Corona pandemic, which shut down the entire music industry, at least the live portion of the music industry. So what I had going right before that was I was juggling three gigs, which is mainly Perry Farrell, mm-hmm. his solo project. We had a South American tour and a U.S. tour booked that got all postponed, a bunch of Lollapalooza shows that got postponed. And I was also uh, working with this um, Taiwanese artist named Jeff Chang. So I'd fly over, just do one-offs for him. He had a couple one-offs in Asia, a couple in Europe. We're going to do London. Those all fell through, but we're going to do those at some point. And then I was filling in. My friend is the MD for uh, uh, an artist named Natty Peluso, Mm -hmm. who's also this up-and-coming Latin artist. And we were going to do Coachella and a few other shows. That got canceled also. So right now... That was what I had going right before the shutdown. Yeah. Um, uh, yesterday, I did a session for Perry. Um, some, he's always making new music and working on stuff. So I did it remotely from right here, this studio that I'm in right now. And we stay in touch. And he says he, as soon as he's allowed to, he wants to book more live shows and everything. So he's just judging like what's feasible for a festival or for a club show or, you know, things like that. Yeah, I have to say, you know, I, I, I told you this privately, but um, his new stuff and, and, and his new show, uh, you know, the live stuff is that I've seen is is phenomenal. I mean, it's just really, really good. I mean, it's, there's there is no legacy feeling here. It, it feels fresh, you know? Yeah, no, he's great. I mean, I started working with him in 2000, I guess it was 18 or 19. I can't remember. I'll, I can look it up. But uh, it, it's been a, a blast because I obviously, well, not obviously, but I mean, a lot of people are huge James Addiction fans. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge. One of my favorite bands. I also love Porno for Pyros. So getting to work with him was great for that reason because he's just a legend and I got to learn all those uh, older songs, like you said, legacy songs. But we also were mainly touring his new record. So we learned 10 new songs. And they were really fun to play. And surprisingly, they they we interweave them with all the older material and a bunch of covers. And it all seemed to work fine. Yeah, it's not like that kind of tour where where you do the old songs and everyone's like, "Yay!" And now we're gonna do a new song. Boo! Yeah. Now everyone yeah. really responded all the new material too. So it was great. And he's his voice is great now. He I sounds mean, really and, strong. I mean, and the good news is is that like the real diehards. Uh, diehard jeans addiction fans like back in the day that are probably about our age are, are starting to lose their memory and <laughs> <laughs> and probably didn't remember what they saw back then <laughs> so yeah. um that's awesome I, I had you gone to Lollapalooza's before that before you wound up working with him yeah i think uh let's see i, I definitely went to the first two yeah when i was 
I was, Bayfront? I was in high school. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I was in New Jersey. Right. Mor- so you were in Morristown? I grew up in Morris. I was born in Morristown. I grew up in an area called Mount Darlington. Okay. Yeah. So if I remember correctly, it, these the place was called Waterloo. I know that sounds like also yeah. a Napoleon battle, but I, I lived in Teaneck, I did, but I, but I, I don't. I didn't. I lived there and left there when I was nine, so I, I missed. Yeah. Missed a lot of that. I know. I definitely know Teaneck. Uh, yeah. Is that Bergen County? Yeah, Bergen County. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I was in Morris County, and uh, yeah, so I saw the first, the first tour. Uh, that was the first festival ever. It was amazing. The lineup was insane. Yeah. So, and then the second one was also good. And I, me and my high school buddies went to both of those. Yeah. Was the first one? I'm trying to remember. Was the first one with Pearl Jam and uh, Soundgarden and Red Hot Chili Peppers? Or was, that was the second tour. That was the second tour. That's the one I saw. Yeah. Yeah. That was talk about a stacked lineup. The first one yeah. had uh, Living Color, Jane's Addiction uh ice tea body count nice it had uh butthole surfers Susie and the banshees um nine inch nails i think okay um uh, who else was on that one yeah good uh, stuff uh, uh henry rollins um man it was killer it was yeah. killer yeah and the second one was the one pearl jam and red hot chili peppers and I, I saw that one at bayfront uh with jeff rollison i don't know if you remember him but he mm-hmm. uh but but that was like a half a day or a day before Hurricane Andrew came in. So we like we came ah. home from that thing, and his dad was the uh, fire chief or one of them, and and uh, he was like, "You better get, <laughs> you better get home." But that was an incredible lineup. That second one, so that's great. Hurricane man. Andrew, was, yeah. Hurricane Andrew was my first week in Miami. I moved from New was Jersey it? to Miami that week. Oh, I no drove kid. down to attend the University of Miami School of Music. I got there and checked into my dorm. And then they're like, okay, everyone, uh, you know, just get ready. There's going to be a big storm tonight. I'm like, okay. And then there was a storm that flattened the city. I woke (laughs) up the next day. There was no power, no gasoline, no phones. Yeah, UM just just leveled. I mean, leveled. It didn't level UM, but it leveled pretty much everything around it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just drove back to New Jersey. I didn't know anyone. I was 18. I didn't know anyone. So I just got back in my car and drove (laughs) like another 23 hours north. Wow. That's amazing. So when so you uh, eventually you get back to the University of Miami and uh, well before I get to that I just have a question about uh, about Perry and, and how this works. So you you know you're and we'll talk about this extensively but your career is obviously very much linked to Shakira and you know um, you're widely known for for your work there. Um, how does this work? I mean, do you? Are you essentially on call for one or the other? I mean, do you, is it is it first come first serve with you, uh, essentially, or do you have to kind of look at because you have people that are doing world tours? So how does it work in terms of balancing two major artists like this? Well, I would say so. My job title would be freelance drummer, right? That's uh, technically what I am. So I work with multiple artists. If I was if I were busy enough to only work with one artist, that's what I would do. But it seems as though I work with people who will do eight months on and then two years off mm-hmm. or something. And then, so what do I do in those two years off? I find another artist who wants to work for eight months or something. And you start to fill in these gaps. Yeah. Some artists only like to do three shows and then go back into their you know world. And some artists like to work constantly. Some artists work sporadically. And so... Uh, I think I've had to develop a system over time, and part of the system is I like to get as much notice as I can in advance. Like I'll stay in touch with everyone's 
managers and booking agents saying, hey, is there anything on the books for 2021 that I should know about or any, you know, yeah. rumblings going on just so I can be prepared? And like, no, no, there's nothing going on. I'm like, okay. And then I go to the next one. And I, yeah, so I, I feel way. like, yeah. so I try to have nothing sneak up on me that way. Um, and also, uh, I do have a kind of a hierarchy of who I work with. And it's usually this artist, then this artist, then this artist. And um, and uh, so I have that type of loyalty also. And then it's also who calls me first, who I agree to work with first. Yeah. So I don't like to book, book with someone and then back out. So I'll do everything I can to try to maintain the original confirmation if possible. And then the last step is to also have a roster of really trustworthy substitutes mm -hmm. who if there is a conflict that I must resolve I let the artists and managers know that I'll take care of the conflict yeah. there's a problem I can't be at that show uh, at the end of August it's just not going to happen but by then I'm going to have someone in place who's going to be as good as me or better who's going to come in and slay the gig and you won't even notice the difference and that way they're like oh, well we're not we're kind of bummed you're not going to be there but as long as it's going to be fine yeah. We trust you. Yeah. So it's I kind of have that plan, um, and that usually has it usually works. It's worked up until now. <laughs> have you ever found yourself in a position where you've had to turn down a major gig that or a major tour that that because you've you've already booked another one and that's it's something that you really wanted to do but just didn't get the chance to do? Absolutely, absolutely. Multiple ones yeah. I've had to turn down because of scheduling conflicts. Anything and it's you could talk about, or anything you could mention, or like any anything out there that like was in your wish list, or mm, I try not to bring up the things like that could have been or the what ifs, mm -hmm. but uh, that's like I do, I do. There's, that's all right. I would say there's probably like not, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that's really uh, fun, fun gossip, but uh, yeah, for the most part, there I would say there's. We know that we know we always know the gigs that people do like oh this guy's famous for being in that band but you don't know the the other dozen things that they almost did that would have totally changed the course of their careers yeah. and I have I have a bunch of those things that either I had to turn down because of a scheduling conflict or it was between or there was an audition it was between me and one or the guy and it was like neck and neck and we wound up like saying eh, well why don't you do this one and I'll yeah. cover for you if 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 you can't do it but uh, let me think. I always enjoy that, um, like when you hear about actors, like oh, that was the part that that person turned down or couldn't do, and, yeah. and it turned into this kind of role for this other person. It's always interesting to me, you know. Totally, but, totally, you know. yeah. It, it is very interesting, and and um, I find that fascinating too. You know, sometimes I, I see bands where I know that it was supposed to be this guy, but he couldn't make it, so it was that guy, yeah. and then it, they went off to become something really big. And I'm like, I know the guy who was supposed to be in that band, but whatever he, he had his brother's wedding to, to go to and he couldn't make the first concert yeah yeah but th that happens and uh i don't think fortunately it's nothing that makes me want to like put a gun to my head like oh, i can't yeah. believe i didn't get to do that but um i'm very fortunate i'm very fortunate yeah. that i've gotten to do what i've done so i'm not trying to be greedy if, if there's a couple things that i can't do then so be it well let there me was, let, um, let me rephrase the question then are, are who are could you name some artists that you would, um, because of the kind of music that you like, or or just you know the band or whatever it is that you would love to drop in if ever given the opportunity. In the oh, future. there's there's a bunch of acts that are like sort of like you mean like uh, dream acts that you'd like to work with someday yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, man, let me think. I love. Let's see. 
I love Massive Attack. Mm-hmm. I love Depeche Mode. I love The Cure. I love Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails has always been like a dream gig for me. Yeah. Uh, but all of these acts have killer drummers already. So <laughs> so it's like not like they're looking for somebody. So, but if somebody got sick or somebody had to drop out, you're putting yourself out there that you know, you'd yeah. like to stand in at the very least, right? Yeah. It's, it's just more, more than anything, it's stylistically. Yeah. Stylistically, I love the music and I love the approach to the drum parts for those acts. You know, yeah. I think it suits my style a mm-hmm. lot. And there's certain gigs I do where I feel really comfortable, but maybe it's not my my A game. Mm-hmm. And there's certain bands where I'm like, man, that they do kind of what I do, and I yeah. think it would be a great match. But um, but like I said, I'm not I'm not being greedy. I'm happy if anybody yeah. wants me to play drums with them. Yeah. I, it could be anybody. And I'm and I also love versatility. So I kind of like when I get hired to do things that are not my A game, and then I adjust because then it, it forces me to work on certain corners of my drumming that uh you know i have to dust off a little bit and that's really yeah. exciting for me too so you go to you start off at university of miami you you were obviously uh you obviously got into the school of music so you were drumming before that when did you start drumming i probably started when i was 14 about okay. i was i like instruments i took piano lessons and trumpet class and like concert band and then i started banging around on the drum set just like boom botch, boom boom touch that kind of drumming mm-hmm. And then I started, uh, you know, taking lessons around the age of 15. And then, uh, but between 15 and 18, I practiced really hard so I can be barely adequate. Yeah. And then by the time I was barely adequate, I said, maybe now I can audition for a music school, you know? And and probably what you consider bare, I mean, relative to other drummers your age, were you barely adequate or were you pretty damn good? Well, it's all like, you know, the size of the, the fishbowl or the pond right, that yeah. you're in. In my high school, I was probably the best drummer in my high school. Yeah. In New Jersey, I was probably uh, the, uh, whatever, 15,000th best drummer in New Jersey <laughs> when, when I was 18. Yeah. And when I went to music school, there were, uh, the, when I got to the University of Miami, there were 50 drummers there, and I had to be in the bottom 10th percentile at, when I got there. Yeah. But, uh but that was fine because that was the the kick in the pants that I needed, mm-hmm. and and also like you know I needed to see other people my own age playing at a very high level to see what that was about. Yeah, it's one thing to watch MTV and see great players, but that looks far away. Yeah, it's another thing to see someone who's a year older than you who's just playing so, yeah. circles around you, right. and and you're like, wow, that's that's possible. How yeah. did you get that so? How did you get that good? And it's very. Um, uh, kind of invigorating and inspiring. Were you part of at UM? Were you part of like the performance? Uh, I, uh, Adam was explaining to me. Adam Zimmon, uh, guitar player, uh, for for both Shakira for a while, but now Z- Ziggy Marley, and, and and he was on an earlier podcast. Um, Adam was explaining to me that that I guess he was in the music school, but he wasn't part of like the the performance group or something or, or maybe mm-hmm. I, I've got that reversed, but I, but yeah. there was some, some difference between what he did and like the, the, the real jazz crazy players, which, which group were you in? Yeah. I, okay. So Adam, I listened to that episode by the way, because okay. Adam is my best friend and, and uh, I talk to him like once a week. Mm-hmm. So I love Adam. Uh, and Great basically guy. Adam snuck into the music school by being, I think, uh, first, maybe I can't remember if he went to UM on a golf scholarship or something first and then got into the business school <laughs> right. and then he got in that way. But, then he became, yeah. but he became the guy who like 
was the rock guitarist in the jazz school mm -hmm. like so everyone everyone else is trying to play like you know jim hall or something he was trying to play like keith richards yeah so he kind of made a little niche for himself as the guy in the jazz school who had a telly and like a couple stomp boxes and could rock out yeah so that so it worked to his advantage in, in, a, in a way i got to um and i was i started as a music education major so i went there to become a teacher Mm -hmm. a band like like the study band and, and education classes and then i double majored in the performance department i took basically every jazz and orchestral and world music ensemble class i could uh, i was a bit of a sponge when i was there uh, so I, I studied a little bit of everything mm -hmm. but i started there in the education department actually okay and did and um at what point because i when i met you uh you were playing in bands um, and I, I, I believe I met you when when you joined Diane's band, but Diane mm -hmm. Ward. Um, were you doing that while you were in college, or was that after college? Do you no, remember? while I was in college. It's okay. kind of one of the reasons why I chose the University of Miami over a lot of other music schools out there is because I told myself, maybe, I don't know if I told myself or other people gave me really good advice, but it was basically go to a music school, a very good music school that's also in a vibrant city mm -hmm. so you're not just in the middle of nowhere in in a cubicle practicing for four years but you're actually going to go out see bands see musicians maybe jam with a band sit in maybe practice maybe join a band maybe do a gig and it's so it's more realistic and and yeah. so i was i was gigging you know my freshman year already but like a couple months after i got there already playing in coconut grove and things yeah. like that with different cover bands and rock bands i really liked playing in original music projects and i didn't want to just only be a jazz drummer i wanted to be in you know i started playing drums because i loved rock music and i wanted to play rock music also while i was studying traditional styles and classical styles and everything so yeah i was i found that anytime anyone was looking for a drummer for their original project i was I was game to do it. And yeah. By the time we met, I was playing in like twelve different original projects. Yeah, so. no, you were, and, and some of the uh, bigger ones in South Florida at the time. Diane Ward, who you know was widely considered one of the queen or the queen of South Florida rock and roll for a minute, you know, for a long, long time. You you played with Six O, you know, with Renee Alvarez, my my, yeah. my dear friend who worked works with us for and, and uh, has worked for with us for five years or so. And um, uh, were you playing with Muse as well at one point? Not the Muse everybody knows. No, but, okay, okay. No. Uh, but I remember I remember them too. They were yeah, great. Fulano. I mean, there were you you were working away. So what at what point? Uh, I don't. I don't know if you finished or not at UM, but at what point did you decide that you know what? I'm not going to be a music teacher. I am. I am. I've got something going here, and and, and I'm going to um, you know take a take a stab at at being a professional drummer in this way. Was that something that you kind of knew you were going to try for when you were at UM, or did you, did did it happen as you know when you were playing with some of these other bands? You know, it was pretty organic, actually. I didn't study teaching because I wanted a plan B or a backup plan. I love teaching, and I, I have very good music teachers in my life. So I actually idolized some of the music teachers I had in my life as much as I idolized drummers. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, wow, if I could be a, a conductor like that guy, or if I could be a, 
uh, a band director like that guy, that would be also a great job. You know, I'd be in music and uh, it'd be fulfilling. I think what happened was my senior year, I started teaching a lot. I was substitute teaching and doing TA work and different middle school and high schools and gigging at night. And I was exhausted. Yeah. I was like teaching school all day I, I've done and that. then going and playing. <laughs> and yeah. And then going and playing two gigs at night and then writing some lesson plans and getting up yeah. the next morning and doing that. And I'm like, you know, it's not that I'm tired, but I just don't think I'm doing a great job at this point. Yeah. I think I'm doing like, I'm like C plus at both of these things now. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe I should just in my twenties only do drum set playing. And then when I get like 30 or 40, then I'll switch it over and then focus more on my, my teaching. Yeah. And, and, but I guess, so it wasn't like, like I, one was lesser to me. It was just what was happening at that moment. No, I, I was just so busy. I had a similar experience. I taught, um, I taught high school for four years. And, um, at the time I was still, I was still, you know, I was recording an album or at least one of the years I was recording an album. Um, you know, I was working another job, I was doing freelance advertising work and, but I, I, I did teaching thinking that I could do multiple things cause you get done at three and you, you know, yeah, you grade some papers and, and what, but it, mm -hmm. it turned out to be far, far different <laughs> and far yeah. more exhausting and, you, and and eventually i had to make a similar choice which is wasn't to go back to guitar playing but it was it was to uh to pick one thing and, yeah. and do that better you know but um so uh what was the um you know and i i remember playing with you a little bit with diane and and, and i can't couldn't tell you offhand how long you were with the band because everything that's all that whole period of time went by so quickly and in a blurred flat blurred fashion but um but so when when did this you made when did you make this choice and and um when you did make this choice what happened next how did you make that transition to to a pro um there was again there was no one moment no door opening and closing or anything like that it was just a a as from as far back as i can remember just a slow slow climb of me going to miami like moving to miami going to school there surrounding myself with musicians within the school surrounding myself with the musician community outside of school like everyone who played at roses mm -hmm. everyone who played at tobacco road everyone who played at south beach pub and for people who don't know this these are some of the the major clubs in Miami when I was living there, uh, Stella Blue, uh, Power Studios, all these great clubs that I knew all the bands that were playing in all these different clubs and yeah. all their singers, all their drummers. And it was just the community, you know, Raw DJ, yeah. Lara, um, uh, Manchild. There were just tons of great bands, right? Yeah. So, so besides studying music, classical and jazz music and doing jazz gigs around town i was also deeply interested and um uh devoted to the original rock pop scene in miami too so it was it was just like my life yeah. it wasn't uh, a choice or or something i i consciously made it was just what i wanted to do and i just wanted to get more into it and better at it and more um genuine i didn't want to be some phony just <laughs> yeah. i want to actually be part of that scene so I, I devoted myself to it and um and which led me to recording in studios in miami uh and which led me to getting 
more bigger gig, bigger touring gigs, because through recordings, I'd be interest, introduced to different producers and managers who would say, oh, you did a really good job on this album. Would you be a- available to work with my artist so-and-so in Puerto Rico or my artist so-and-so in Mexico? And yeah. it's kind of, it was all just this, this snowball effect of me just saying yes to as many jam sessions, gigs, recordings, hangs, parties as possible just to be part of the scene and also practicing a lot to not suck. You know, when those opportunities uh, arose, then then I wanted to make sure that I didn't flop when when I did get those opportunities. So, you know, you you got jazz training and education in in part at UM. the Latin music scene is, is a very different animal. Latin percussion is a very different animal. Um, uh, and, and certainly far removed from the rock stuff that you were doing uh, in town or the funk stuff. Um, how, what was the, pro- how did you learn to become the Latin drummer that you are um, or were at least at that time? And you were much, I'm sure you're even better now. I know you are, but um but back then, was that something that you had to teach yourself or was that a product of you just getting in the band with with these other musicians and just, just sitting in with that style long enough to learn it? Yeah, it was more B. Yeah, it was me being very fascinated with the style of music, being a bit, um, well, it, I should say that anyone who doesn't know anything about Miami should know that it's extremely Latino city, like over half the population there speaks Spanish. There's a lot of people from the Caribbean or South America that live in Miami. So if you're willing and interested in learning about uh, Latino culture or music or food, that's a great city to be in. So, and I was, I was game mm-hmm. to, to learn, learn, learn. And uh, I guess it was just baby steps. I would be just good enough to hang out with this Brazilian uh, group of musicians who would teach me their favorite artists, their favorite grooves, and then I'd play with them, and then I'd get a gig with them, and then they'd show me a few things to make it sound a little more authentic. I'm like, cool. And then I would do the same thing with a bunch of Dominican friends and a bunch of Cuban friends, a bunch of Puerto Rican friends, some Colombian friends, some Mm -hmm. Venezuelan friends. And each one, fortunately, would have uh, their their take on oh well this is kind of like the folkloric rhythms that you would need to know to do these kinds of gigs and I would just soak it in knowing that I was a gringo from New Jersey and yeah. I, I didn't want to I didn't want to fail yeah. so I'm like I'm like teach me teach me what what it would sound like to be as authentic as I can being that I have such a late start you know uh, in this world yeah and you know I learned is, the language I learned the sub- dances is there a, a substantial difference between the rhythms of you know kind of the native rhythms of Colombian music versus Cuban music versus Brazilian. I mean, is there is there a are they variations of a, of the same theme or are they very different animals each of them? Well, uh, it all depends. Actually, if you, I guess if you were some ethnomusicologist, you would say that they're all variations of African rhythms. Okay. So they all basically have. You know, I was having this discussion with a percussionist last week, actually, because we were talking about cajones. And this guy's a cajon, like, uh, like just virtuoso. That's the guy that you, he was like, that yeah. the guy that you posted on Facebook. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, OK, exactly. Cool. So I was I was and he was saying, well, my he's Venezuelan, but he says my style is more Spanish 
because and there's also the peruvian style the cuban style these things but this is the style that i really uh gravitated towards and and and, and but we were talking about different things and i told him my my history in miami and and we jammed a bunch together and 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 he was like yeah well it all basically comes from africa mm-hmm. but it's like Africa goes to Peru and then turns into something. Africa goes to Cuba and turns into something else. Yeah. Africa goes to Brazil and turns into something else. So they all are different from one another. Right. And especially if you're from there or if you're a trained percussionist or a trained folkloric musician, you would realize that, you know, the music is different. The instruments are different. The the dances are different. The languages are different. Everything's different about it. Yeah. But they do have similarities because they all come from the same origin um yeah but it's it's there there are some similarities but then it's more important to learn the differences so then you can distinguish like oh so now we're in this little world or this style and it it helps me uh categorize it better in my mind did did you or or do you speak spanish or did you speak spanish or back then i do i do speak spanish okay so was, was that something that you knew beforehand or um or did you learn that in miami it like kind of like my story with music. Yeah. I learned the language also when I was there because I was working. At a certain point, I looked around every gig I was doing, and I was the only, you know, white guy in the band mm. at, at a certain point in almost every group I was doing. And I'm like, man, I feel a little bit left out. Like yeah. everyone's talking in Spanish, and I'm just like, excuse me, where are we? Are <laughs> we starting from the top again? Uh, oh, what did you say? We have to repeat something i'm sorry i didn't get that yeah and i'm like i should probably learn the language just to fit in a little bit you know yeah and uh so i started you know i fortunately had enough friends who i was just like hey teach me something teach me some words and all they do is teach you curses at first right (laughs) so you 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 speak like a sailor in the beginning and then you learn how to fill in all the gaps with uh non-offensive words and and i went and took some courses too some immersion courses which helped and the best thing, if anyone wants to learn a foreign language, I would say the best thing is to go to a country and just throw yourself into it and don't get embarrassed. Just hop in a cab and yeah. start talking to the, the driver or go to the hotel concierge and just do your best and yeah. talk to the waiter in, in whatever language and you'll learn. It's it's a necessity. Yeah, yeah. So um, so how did you – what was the band was – it, was it Fulano? What was the band that um, – that absorbed the most the most time from for you when you when you were launching kind of into this i know you were freelancing a lot but like at some point you start doing world tours with shakira so what 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 bridged the gap here between the two the two universes um yeah i let me see if i were to kind of uh condense that timeline into highlights i would say maybe there was that era where i was just playing with more than a dozen different projects Mm -hmm. and then one of the projects was a band called fulano with my friends with adam and a couple other people but we got a record deal it was my band uh technically i was 25 percent of that one and we got a record deal with bmg so i was like oh so now i'm actually in a project where i have to put this a little more effort you know i was we were doing the booking the shows booking the tours doing the budgets uh doing the music videos so were you, fully, were you fully committed? Sorry to interrupt. Were, were you fully committed? You know, you get this record deal. That's a big deal. I mean, there were very, very few uh, deals. I mean, there, there were bands that came out of Miami that got record deals, but there weren't that many given the number of bands. Um, mm-hmm. And Fulano was one of them. Uh, at that point, are you like, okay, I've got to I've got to just focus on Fulano and that's it? Or are you still kind of 
freelancing and bal- trying to balance Falana with these other with these other projects? Um, well, I guess my idea was to do as I mean, it was the kind of thing where we rehearsed like three times a week, every week, you know, regularly. We did shows every week. We did tours as much as we could. Uh, we just bugged our manager to just book, book, book. Anything you book, we had a 15-passenger van, we'll drive there. Yeah. Or if we could fly there, figure out a way to get us tickets, we'll fly there and we'll sleep on floors. doesn't matter. We just wanted to play. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of that, you know, say we were rehearsing three times a week and, and playing every Friday or Saturday, then there was six nights a week for me to do nothing but work with my other friends. So Got I it. would still do other gigs uh, just because it's it was just what i wanted to do i wanted to learn and grow and and i i just wanted to keep playing so there was no jealousy or rivalry between the uh elston the singer he was as supportive as you can be Mm -hmm. um and uh you know i work with him and i always turned down any other gig if if we had a conflict with his one of his gigs yeah and um and then the next thing was i got a tour uh being on uh being in the band with Julio Iglesias, the older yeah. pop singer guy. So that was a big gig for me. I got that one. We went to Brazil for a month, Argentina for a month, and Australia for a month. So that was a big gig. And I told the guys in the band uh, I was going to do this. And they were all supportive and very cool with it. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was a great learning experience because when that gig was over, I brought all these, whatever I learned from that tour, into our organization. I'm like, oh, man, we need this now we need to do this we need to start doing this and we need a road manager who also does monitors and yeah. sound and this we need yeah. all these things and we need to make it more pro so um and then about a year later i started working with shakira and i, I recorded one of her records and we, i started doing some gigs with her but it wasn't something that i had to quit full on to do because again the, the schedules just worked out where they interwove you know mm-hmm. with, with it, within one another and I don't think it was until – it probably wasn't until I moved to L.A. where I finally broke ties with all of my major uh, Miami groups. Mm-hmm. It was just I basically said, I want to leave Miami. No offense to anyone here. I just want to change my life. And uh, so I suggest you, uh, you know, artist A, artist B, artist C, I, I suggest yeah. you find another artist, another drummer now and I'll help you. and it was it was great for everybody. I mean, everyone was pretty pretty supportive. And then I still work with Shakira now. I still work with Elston from Fulano now. Mm-hmm. I still I still chat with uh, Diane and Jack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> from, and uh, I'm, I feel like I'm still friends with all those. I still yeah. talk to Nilara. Yeah. But I just don't I just don't fly back and forth to Miami to do one offs anymore with any any of those friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forgot you played with Nil. Nil. Yeah. Nil too. Yeah. Yeah. He. he one of the Miami greats for sure. I tell um, people that all the time. He's, like, he's still he's one of the, he's still, I don't know if you last time you heard him live, um, you know, um, you know, Bobby McIntyre, right. You know, Bob, mm-hmm. you know, Bobby's been playing with him, and, but, and, and Bobby's amazing too. And, um, but man, we, I saw when, when did I see Neil last? It was a couple of years ago. Cause I've been out here, but, um, but when I saw him, he is just as potent as he's ever been. You know, he's just, yeah. just amazing amazing guy yeah the the, the the blues comes out of his throat when he sings it's it, pure and, and the guitar pure. playing i mean just that too i mean like his, his the songs are are you know are great but the guitar playing 
well, whatever he's, he, it's not a guitar really, right? It's, it's a, what does he call it? A quad, a quattro or something? He, well, he, normally he plays the electric trace. Electric trace. That's it. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and that's, that, I don't even know how that's strung, but it's, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. sounds great. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But, so, um, um, so when was it, um, so you obviously knew that you had a, a, a solid career. Um, was it with, with Julio that you started playing really gi- giant audiences? I mean, where you, where you had the kind of operation around you, uh, you know, like you didn't have to set up your own drums necessarily or, or, yeah. uh, or that was probably the- it. I mean, I was playing big gigs with Fulano too, but we yeah. were usually the opening act. <laughs> we were the opening act for a lot of big gigs. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but that was, so that was, that was still fun. Yeah. I mean, playing for a lot of people was still fun, but Julio was the first one where I went on tour with like a, with a crew. Yeah. And, uh, and that was really exciting, you know, in-ear monitors and, you know, electronics, sequences, samplers, everything, and I, sound checks. And I learned all of that. And um, who did you was, open up with, Fulano? That was that was big. Like, what, what were what were some? A of lot of Latin artists. Okay. A lot of South American artists. If they come to the U.S., we would open up for them. Okay. Fabulosos Cadillacs, um, uh, Atercio Pelados, uh, Cafe Tacuba, all these big acts from Colombia, Argentina, Mexico. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so when do you start? Um, is is it with Shakira that you start playing these kind of mega gigs, um, or was it was it was Julio the one that exposed you to well, that? Well, it was probably Julio first. Yeah, and then a year later it was Shakira. Yeah, and 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 how does that change your? Um, you know, I, I, I the the biggest gig I ever played probably was you know in terms of people and and, and size might have been like. The Hard Rock Orlando, or we did some festival stuff in you know Coconut Grove, like the Arts Festival and things like that. But, but um, with Diane in both cases, and um, but uh, you know, it, especially with the outdoor gigs, it, the dynamics of the room are are kind of shocking, you know, or the lack of room, you know, that the, the sound mm-hmm. is is different, everything about it is different. Um, when you started playing those kinds of gigs, did you um, did did you have to adjust? I mean, was there, did you, did it rattle you in any way uh, to, to, um, or your, or change, change your, uh, how am I articulate? I'm going to have to edit this because I'm stammering so much, but how, <laughs> what I'm trying to say here, what I'm trying to say here is uh, when you started playing these bigger gigs on bigger stages, it obviously, everything changes. I mean, obviously you have in, in your, in your monitors and whatnot, but, but the whole feel of it changes. Um, was that something that took some adjustment on your part as a drummer or is it just, or were you, you know, you're just kind of a slow ramp up and you just got used to it as you went? If I think back now, I think some of the adjustments that have to be made have to be made just in getting accustomed to things. Like if you are, you know, a group that only rehearses in a tiny bedroom and then you go to play some outdoor stadium, it's going to feel just as awkward as you can imagine you know yeah but if if you practice and get accustomed to every style venue like where i don't think people practice with that in mind you need to like bands when they practice if they ask me my my opinion i'm like hey you know what maybe for this next run through maybe we shouldn't all face each other because we don't actually face each other on stage right and i'll ask the singer to turn around and everyone to turn on a face one direction. Let's see what this feels like for one run through. Right. And let's move a little further apart. 
where you're not you know, point where you're not pointed at your amps and you're not yeah you're yeah. you're not playing in a wall of sound that sounds a certain way you know yeah. you're yeah most most athletes would say that you have to practice the way you want to perform right and i think people practice imagine playing guitar sitting down with it with no strap all the time yeah. and then you go out and you go to play live and you have your guitar strap and your, your guitar is hung really low and you can't see your fretboard and now you can't play yeah it's because you weren't practicing correctly and it's the same thing sonically it's the same thing uh you know whatever mentally yeah so i think what happened early on was maybe either me or the groups i was in we weren't prepared enough for what it feels like to be an opening act versus a headliner to be uh, with mo- inner monitors versus wedges, to be with rental gear versus your own gear, to be indoors versus outdoors, yeah. to be like to uh, to have a PA or to not have a PA or all. all you must you run into this all the time, right? I mean, as as a freelancer, you must you know you're you're not always dealing with with um, artists that are at the pinnacle. You're dealing with often with artists that are up you know up and coming or or moving on their way up and 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 may not have experienced the kind of success that they're experiencing now, right? You must, you must run into this. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, and I've practiced now yeah. where if I show up to a gig and it's in a coffee shop, I'm like, cool coffee shop mode. Yeah. And if they say, well, I show up to a gig and it's in Staples center, I'm like, okay, cool. Staples center mode. Yeah. And I, and I just change it. I, I, I just adjust my, my, my mind to what this room is going to be like. And I don't really change my playing as much as just what I expect out of the room. Yeah. I expect it's going to sound like this. I expect, you know, that the other musicians are going to be this far away. And they mean, I, I expect they'll be able to hear this from me, but they won't be able to hear this from me. And, uh, and so even if I don't play that differently, you start to see it on other people's faces when the bass player can't hear his amp that well. Yeah. Or the singers, the singers pushing too hard. And then everyone's not having fun anymore. You're like, oh, okay, everyone. Let's tone it, take it down a step because no one's having any fun. Let's let's bring it back together. You know. Yeah. Without trying to equate the experiences, but you know, I mean, that's that's re- exactly what I I felt when I played those bigger gigs. I felt a, a level mm-hmm. of isolation, where mm-hmm. you know, I I could only hear really my guitar, the way that I'm used to hearing it. I couldn't hear the bass as well. I mean, even though I mean, mm-hmm. you, you get a you get a sound check as an opening act, but it's usually you know, abbreviated and and sometimes garbage and, 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 uh, but it was, it was the first time or two we did it. It was kind of terrifying because I just didn't, yeah. I, nothing felt right. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's like uh there's a lot of lessons here. Like one is, is like obviously that Murphy's law where if something can go wrong. Yeah. It will go wrong. And that's true in live music. But two is that I read this book once I, uh, by Josh Waitskin. I can't remember the art of learning. I think it's called, okay. but, and he was a former chess champion and he talks about, um, how he learned how to become a chess master, grandmaster. And he said, one of the things is, uh, in chess, you learn classical modes of, uh, okay, this is the approach. This is the Russian approach one Oh three. And this mm-hmm. is this, and this is, and you learn these games. And he said, he does, he decided to, learn almost backwards like chaos theory chess where i'm going to just destroy the board and then fight my way out of this and fight out of every weird scenario possible you know mm-hmm. and he learned this backwards way of playing chess where no scenario would throw him he's like okay i've only got one piece this guy's got eight pieces but yeah. okay now i'm going to do this 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 and it would fluster the people he would play because it was not what they're used to they're used to playing very 
deliberate, like studied chess. Yeah. And he said, it's like, it's like in life, if you can't function in life, unless everything is perfect, like you make your bed in the morning, you wash your dishes, you go out, you pull out of your driveway the exact same way every day, you do this and you do, if, if, if anything goes wrong and that messes you, then you've got a problem. Yeah. You actually, you actually have to learn how to function within chaos right. because life is chaotic. So train yourself to be comfortable in chaos. And that's what I try to tell people when you're trying to put together a live show is, okay, now that we've rehearsed it and we're happy with the set list and we're happy with everything, now let's imagine what happens when everything goes wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and get used to that. Yeah. Which, you know, depending on who you're dealing with, uh, you know, some people always worry about what what what's going to go wrong. You know, I, you know, losing their voice or or breaking a string, and there's always this terror that keeps mm-hmm. them from being loose on stage because they're worried about the next thing going wrong. Yeah. So there's this this the you know balance that you have to strike with between uh, being between preparation and strategy versus you know uh, pessimism and anxiety, right? You know? But I'd rather I'd rather with an artist like that I'd rather talk them into a mentality of rather than saying don't worry nothing's gonna go wrong i'd rather say you know oh yeah that might happen but it's gonna be fine and i tell everyone i work with it's gonna be fine Mm -hmm. they're like oh but what if what if this goes wrong oh it's still gonna be fine your band is gonna have your back it's gonna be fine yeah what if i forget the words you know what if you forget the words we're gonna do this i'm gonna put them on uh, over here on this little board on the ground you don't have to look at it but if you do forget it it's gonna be there yeah but what if i can't hear myself if you can't hear myself turn around give me this signal and then i'll fix it no what if this happens if that happens we'll do this and i and part of like being a musical director or a bandmate is i've always I'm trying to think of every scenario that's going to throw someone yeah. and then have an answer for it. So then you can go on stage and when only 1% of the nightmares happen that they were imagining, they're like, wow, it was an amazing show. Nothing went wrong. You're like, good. It's because yeah. we, we, we kind of or foresaw everything that could go wrong. We had an answer for it already. And therefore, we felt comfortable. Yeah. How do you approach uh, putting COVID aside? Because obviously these are very different times for musicians. But, but how how do you traditionally approach the business side of this? In terms of like you, you obviously have to spend a certain amount of time, as you mentioned earlier, talking to managers and and booking um, booking ahead, um, and then you you have um, your uh, practice time, which I know just from watching your videos, you're you know and watching you work through stuff even when you're out on the road you're you're trying new rhythms you post you put your you know fastidiously post videos of you trying different things and 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 uh um, working on on your craft um on a daily basis when you're home uh do you have a routine where you where you spend a certain amount of time playing and a certain amount of time addressing the business and a certain amount of time with the family or or do you just kind of go with what how you feel on it you know, if you feel like practicing, you do. And uh, is it more chaotic? Um, in a perfect world, I would have a routine. Mm-hmm. I love routines. I'm a routine kind of guy. But going on the topic of chaos, my life is chaotic. I I have a wife and a son, and I am in the entertainment industry. So yeah. <laughs> those three things together make it that no two days look the same. Yeah. And it's and it it sometimes gets on my nerves that my life is not routine, and I. But it's it's been this way all the time. So what I have to do instead is kind of 
and pick one thing a day that must happen. Like today, I must do this recording. Mm -hmm. What else would I like to do this today? I'd also like to go to the gym and practice and do this and you know organize this, but that might not happen. If I get to all that, great. Yeah. But the thing I must do is this, or I must do this uh, Zoom call with Brian Franklin today, or I must do this with, I, mu I have this family gathering with my in-laws on Sunday, or I must do this. Um, so what I do is then I put like, second choice third choice yeah. and um some days if i don't have any work to do meaning i don't have a gig or, or a recording to do then i slide in practice must practice today and i i love practicing the drums like you said it's the craft of it i love improving i love being inspired by my friends that are doing great things yeah. and trying to just take 10 or 15 percent of what they're doing and kind of just somehow absorb it into my own playing so i always want to get better at what I do on the drums, but it's not something I can say I do three hours a day every day because it has to fluctuate yeah. due to my other responsibilities. The drum you've been posting these drummer versus drummer series uh, where you, where you have other really accomplished drummers um, uh, and the two of you, you know, feed off each other. How do how does that work? Does some do, does the other drummer always start the do they pick their beat and you just tell them, hey, play for two minutes and pick something and I'm going to feed off of it? What how, What's the process for that? Yeah, first of all, it's drummer plus drummer. Sorry, drummer plus drummer. Drummer. <laughs> drummer first drummer sounds like we're going to uh, battle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, it's something that I initially wanted to do live. Uh, and then because of COVID, I said, well, I want to stay creative somehow. And I don't want to just post videos of myself in egomania world so mm -hmm. let me find something else i could do that's a collaboration and i have so many drummer friends that have home studios and are amazing players and i admire them so i thought i can just make a little roster of guys who i love their playing and i could say hey let's do a little beat together yeah. but i don't but i don't want it but i want everyone to be different so i said how can i make everyone different i can either i can either script it and ask them to do what i want them to do and say, hey, for this one, can you do a seven, eight Brazilian beat? And I'm going to do this on top. And I'm like, well, that might not make them comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, so I thought my my other the other way I could say is, hey, listen, do whatever you feel like that day. And don't even think about it. Don't even tell me. I don't want to know. Yeah. And then just send it to me. And then you and when you send it to me, I'll 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 um, I'll come up with something that's almost like contrapuntal. Like I'll play around you. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to play what you do. I'll play around you. So that gives you the freedom to do whatever tempo or style or whatever is your comfort zone. Because some guys are super confident and like, oh, I can give you 40 ideas. Yeah. I'm like, all right. And then some guys are like, man, I really don't know what to do. I'm kind of more of a band guy. I don't really play solo drums. And I'm like, cool, cool. Then just do whatever is the first thing that comes to mind when you walk into your studio and mm -hmm. just record a minute of it. And that's going to be good. Even if it's just boom, yeah. boom, boom. Boom. That's cool too. Anything. Yeah. And and it, it kind of takes a lot of the pressure off my friends so they don't have to feel like they have to come up with some orchestrated drum solo like Have you ever played so in a band with uh, two drummers like not not a drummer and a percussionist necessarily but like two full on drum sets is that like a grateful dead kind I don't of think I have. Yeah. No, but I have jammed with certain drummers that have um that have been really fun to play with. I have jammed with certain drummers who are not fun to play with. And yeah. I can kind of, I can kind of figure out why, 
like uh, what what makes a drummer sound really good with another drummer, and what makes them sound a little better as a solo artist. You know, is that something that you can articulate? Is that I mean, is it, what what makes a drummer good with another drummer? It's almost like uh, let's say or it's bad. usually a lot of listening skills. Yeah, like uh, I think if you are a drummer who has played in an orchestra or a marching band or uh, a Latin percussion ensemble. Your ears get attuned to you playing rhythms with other people playing rhythms, and they start to lock up, almost like almost like organically quantize with one another. Mm-hmm. But if you're a drum set player who's only played with yourself or a guitarist, a bassist, and a singer your whole life, yeah. you're not actually used to the precision of locking up drums with other drums, and it's 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 a different thing. That makes sense. And you'll notice it. Yeah. You'll notice it. And so I, I can hear the difference between someone who's got really good like listening skills and they could they could actually glue their groove to your groove or vice versa. You can glue into their groove. When you're um, let me let me expand on that a little bit because um in in a lot of music today, um and, and I'm I'm presuming and tell me if I'm wrong that, that some of the bigger acts um their their sets are, are are scripted. You're playing with perhaps you're playing with a background track or some kind of um, some other electronic rhythm, you know, you know, pumped in or whatever. Um, that is that part of what you're talking about too. I mean, you have to if you if you have to play along with the sequence uh, tracks. Is that you know does that change your playing? Absolutely, absolutely. If if you are playing in some kind of organic band which is you, an acoustic guitarist and a bassist, you can have, you know, precise machine gun-like time, but you don't need it. Yeah. Nothing's going to go wrong if you do flam a note here or there or speed up uh, BPM here or there. No one's going to notice, and it's not uh, that under the microscope, per se. But if you're playing in a pop act where everything is sequenced and there's click tracks and there's loops going on that go all these kind of subdivided 60 note loops going on throughout the show and there's lights that hit on cue and then if you're not on it everyone notices yeah the sound engineer says hey uh your kick drum is kind of not locking with that loop and it's embarrassing when an engineer will tell you that yeah you're the drummer who's supposed to be in charge of that and the engineer pipes in and says Hey man, you might want to check your kick drum parts. They're not lining up with uh, what's going on out here in front house. Do you find and, that? Uh, do you find it's easier to, um, uh, as a drummer that's done both? I mean, do you, do you find it's easier to have that stimulus to to stay on beat? And I mean, like to to. Are you, I mean, I know obviously you're used to it, but do you find it easier now um, than when you're you know maybe in a band where you where you're just you know it's it's up to up to you to keep everything in control. Oh, I think it's something that you have to train. Yeah. And, and I have trained it. And some other people don't spend as much time training it. It doesn't mean that if you train it, you're just that much exceptionally better than someone else. Right. Because there are guys, there are drummers. Okay, there's a lot of skill sets with being a great drummer. One of them is having great time and great rhythm. But that's not the only one. Right. Because there are some drummers who don't have fantastically good time but are killer drummers, you know, which is sounds like an oxymoron, but I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but there's some guys I know who speed up and slow down a lot, but I still love their drumming. It's just their forte is not playing with loops. Right. <laughs> and then there's some drummers who their forte is playing with loops, but they're not my favorite drummers. Yeah. So there's 
you, you can be almost too clinical or you could be too raw. Well, so you, like you, you, can, you do both. You can have a little, I mean, but you do. I mean, you know, I think it's safe to say that you're great at both. What what's most what's more comfortable for you? Like, what's your what's your favorite? I guess. And do you like having the the sequences and loops and being able to kind of feed off of those things and be creative around the the track, or 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 um, or would you prefer to just rock out and do your thing? You know, it's I do it's I don't want to you know or be the person yeah Uh, yeah those are that was a false choice but you know (laughs) i mean it's a false choice because either way you're rocking out it's just a different way of you know a a different framework for it right yeah i don't know if you noticed when you asked me earlier about acts that i would love to play with someday in a dream world i think everyone i i mentioned was a band that rocks out to sequences right so so (laughs) so i guess that is my aesthetic is i kind of love the mechanical industrial sound yeah. with with awesome like rocking like John Bonham kind of drums on top of that. Yeah. So I think maybe that is my natural aesthetic. Uh, I love things to be funky and in time and in, like definitely yeah. uh, machine gun like aligned. With, but I also like it to have a lot of um, life to it. I don't want the sound so mechanical that it's just uh, you know just could be a robot at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, does do you find that um, that having the sequenced uh, you know having it sequenced out uh, provides for too stale of a se- of a set list sometimes? Like, sometimes, you know. yeah. It sometimes if it de- you know it, a lot of these things are dependent on the artist and the style of music and their songs. Sometimes you know that nothing is going to change with this artist's songs, arrangements, or tempos. Mm-hmm. They like it the same way every time. So then you can say, well, why don't we add some background vocals in here that aren't on stage? Or why don't we add a little string sample here or something? Yeah. It'll just make it sound better, and it's not going to change anything. So then you can add some sequences. But if, for some reason, this artist, you know they love to kind of like, tonight they want to do it a little faster, or they want the guitar solo to be a little longer, or they want to interact with the crowd and do a little like, like a call and response thing, then adding sequences might make the show a little too tame and mm-hmm. might uh, like, res- like put handcuffs on you. Yeah. So you have to kind of decide like, what do you, what do you gain and what do you lose by adding computers and electronics to your show? You know, sometimes you lose a lot. Yeah. Makes sense. We, we've talked a lot about your drumming, but you, you have also, um, uh, been a songwriter and co- co-written uh, material in the in the past, and um, and done some production as well, right? Uh, it, wh- do you find yourself doing that still? I mean, I know you've done it in the past. Is that something that you are looking to do more of, more songwriting or more production? Yeah, I mean, it's when I was in Miami, it was a passion of mine, mm-hmm. but I was also in a community where it was asked of me. Like every almost every project I was in, they were like, "Hey, you got any songs?" <laughs> or like, "Hey, what do you think? What what should we do for a bridge here or something?" Yeah. It was a very it was that my community was like that a little more. Uh, I moved to L.A. and people didn't know me as much, and I was just session drummer out here. Mm-hmm. So there weren't a lot of people asking me to also contribute two songs to their album. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of took a backseat to what I was doing. I still produced a bunch of records out here for artists uh, that I was probably already working with. And they said, hey, um, 
can you play drums on this record and maybe help me produce it? I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, sure. So it was kind of that thing. Like, you, uh, you've been around so much, you know what you're doing, you know the, you know, you know the approach to this kind of thing. Usually what it would be was I'd get hired to play 12 songs at someone's record and then there was no one steering the ship. And yeah. I'd be like, hey, maybe we can do this and maybe we can do that. And they say, hey, you seem to have done this before. Do you want to produce it? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and as far as writing, it's, you know, same thing, like, uh, I like writing with people when it's there's a project involved. Yeah. Uh, I don't sit around as much as I used to just composing songs for myself like a minstrel. I used to do it as practice. I would write like like a song a week or sometimes more like a song a day. Yeah. I don't really do that as much anymore and I wish I did. Maybe if I loved my voice, maybe I would do it more often. But now I more compose for other people when they ask me to. Yeah. And you do when you compose, you do it on the piano or on, on guitar or? Uh, both yeah. both i i um let's see uh usually it starts with either melody or chord progression and uh or a bass line that i i think of and uh it could be i could play piano and guitar you know at maybe like a c minus level so uh, but i i know harmony pretty well so i could pretty much hear what i want already and uh, so mostly it starts with an iphone note some kind of audio note in my iPhone of a beat, a key, a melody, and a bass line. I'll sing, yeah. and then I'll flesh it. I'll flesh it out right that and from that point. How do you avoid as you know you, your profession is as a, as a drummer? I mean, it's it's your it, it is your trade. How do you avoid the situations where you know there there are other musicians you've worked with or working with um, that you're friends with or that you've collaborated with on other paid gigs? But then they say, "Hey, Brendan, let's you know, let's get together and and work on some stuff, or or I'd, I'd love for you to come drum for me, or drum with me." How do you you know? Do you ever find yourself in like that awkward position where it's like, "Look, I I, I can do this, but you have to pay for me." You know, like this is not like this is uh, not something I'm doing creatively just for my own you know happiness. It's, yeah, it's, you, you know. know what? I it's funny is I guess because I live in L.A. And I think most of the people I know are already business savvy. Mm -hmm. They will let you know if they don't want to pay you. Yeah, it, it's it, it would be awkward for someone to ask you to be a part of the project, and then like you find out a couple weeks into it, like, oh, there's no money in this. Yeah, yeah. Usually, so, an artist would say, "Hey, man, I'm doing this I, thing. I don't like, have I'm money. Getting, <laughs> I'm doing this thing every Friday. I'm getting together and yeah. writing and recording a couple songs with some people. There's no money in it, but yeah. I would love for you to be part of it. But it's totally cool if you don't want to do it. And yeah." When someone's honest and upfront about that, I'm absolutely fine with it. Yeah. Because most people know that, I mean, most musicians know that we just love to play with one another. We love to make music with one another. Right. I like to also get paid if possible, but it doesn't stop me from wanting to always make music with other people. Yeah. So the, the, it's, you know, it's, uh, the reality is that some situations there's no budget. Literally, there's no budget for this situation or that situation. Other places, there is a budget, mm -hmm. you know? So if there's no budget for something, but everyone still wants to do it, then let's do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't have set fees that I won't break because yeah. I'm at this level of my career. Everything is on a case to case basis, depending on what is the scenario. Explain yeah. to me what the scenario is. And if I buy it, I'm like, that sounds totally legit. Let's do it. When you're working with, um, I don't want, when you're working with artists that don't, that haven't yet achieved the level of success, do you find yourself gravitating to a certain kind of music? I mean, do you find yourself doing rock more 
because you're doing some of this other stuff or do you find yourself going more into the world music categories i mean I, you're doing a lot of stuff in asia i've seen and with with asian artists i don't i i forgive me i haven't checked out their music yet so i couldn't tell i, I don't know what kind of music it is but but mm-hmm. you know what what do you gravitate to when you're when you're choosing how to spend time on music musical projects that aren't that are either either poorly funded or not funded oh again it's it's usually driven by the the artists involved if it's a songwriter mm-hmm. who uh maybe there's some great guitarist who plays guitar for some band but he also writes his own songs yeah it's like hey man i would love to try my songs with a trio yeah like, cool then let's do it sometimes it's an instrumental project just to get your yayas out like let's all just let's just all just get our 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 musicianship skills together and just jam together uh, yeah. as an instrumental group you know uh sometimes it's a recording project like a bunch of people like hey we're just we just want to make a couple cool songs and it could be wacky studio effects or something yeah but um yeah i don't think there's any one thing i mean there's it's just like what i listen to there's not one thing i listen to a lot of pop music a lot of rock music but yeah. a lot of electronic music and jazz and classical and oldies and everything i think uh what's your what's your current jam like what's your thing right now that you're listening to right? like the most man what am i listening to the most uh let's see the lego man the lego batman soundtrack with my son and um <laughs> we've also been listening to a lot of john williams soundtracks uh he's into that right now so mm-hmm. that's star wars harry potter yep. things like that but I also been listening to a lot of Chick Corea since he just passed away, the jazz pianist. Um, and uh, what else have I been listening to lately? Um, I have the new wave station, the 80s new wave station on in my car all the time. So a lot of uh, that going on. Um, and the new Flaming Lips album is excellent. If you haven't heard it, is it? I love it. I have not heard I just it. Got, I mean, I, I've been listening to it, but I just got it on vinyl. And uh, I just love it. It's just, I mean, I don't know if you like the Flaming Lips, but it's, it's, uh... well, the, the Soft Bulletin was one of my favorite albums okay. of all time. But, okay. Uh, yeah. No, it's fantastic. The, yeah. It's great. It's so great. And I've been, That's really, very I've been cool. really into the new national. Well, the, I mean, I've been into the national for a while, but the, the, the newest national album is very interesting. So it's different. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. But, I, I was, in, I, I, one national album that I really love. It's that, uh, the one that had that hit, uh, a swarm of bees. Oh, uh, da, da, da. High, was it high violet? No, uh, um, that's it's, it, blood buzz, blood buzz, Ohio. I think it's, it, ah, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, song that, that's you're the talking album. about. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the, the album that it's on. Um, but, uh, it's either, uh, whatever it's it, alligator or, or, um, or high violet, I think. But, um, so you're, you do a lot of jujitsu. Uh, I do. Uh, and uh, you're you're getting did you get your black belt yet you're getting close right i got my brown belt last year which okay. is one belt away yeah right right so um is that just for again is that something that you've been doing for most of your life is that so, something you started I, I kind of remember you starting it later in life is that wrong yeah, it's more of a midlife crisis than something i've been doing my whole life <laughs> it was something that started uh Maybe, let me think, when did I start? I started when I was about, I think I was uh, maybe 35 years old or something, and I was on tour, and I was just fooling around with some of the security guards on tour, like pretend fighting with them. Yeah. And they were just 
beating my ass. Like not even like, not even like, not punching me or something. Just they could just like take my wrist and turn right. it. And I'm like, oh my god, like weird things like that. I'm like, what is this? What is this magic you're doing? Yeah. You know, I guess jujitsu, you know. And I'm like, wow, I must know this. I know nothing about self defense, and I've gone through most of my life just being a pacifist. Uh -huh. But you know, I, I said, you know what? It wouldn't hurt just to know a little bit about self defense. Yeah. So I started taking classes. And at first it was super awkward, you know, the whole like body space awareness, like get out of my face, kind of like, this is weird. Yeah. You know, let go of me <laughs> if you're not into it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not a bully. So I never really punched a lot of people growing up and <laughs> only been a few fights really my yeah. whole life. And then, um, but the martial arts culture and the, the learning aspect of it and the training aspect, I gravitated towards highly and I, I really fell in love with it and the community and the, the people who do it. Yeah. And I, I tried several martial arts over the years. I loved all of them. But the one I stuck with the most was Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, partly because of the style and the philosophy and the people who do it and, and its applicability. Yeah. And there, there's another aspect of it, which is you actually have to, part of your class is to spar at the end of every class. It's not like you learn some magic moves that you can only use on on an enemy because it might kill them no, if you, you hit their heart a certain way. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like you actually have to learn a few moves and then you you partner up and then you spar at the end of the class. Yeah. And you do it you do it without hurting each other. Yeah. And uh, preferably. And then it feels like, wow, that was really invigorating doing like this weird quasi fight. Yeah. And uh, it, it sort of, <laughs> I try to explain to people, it sort of satisfies this weird thing that we don't have anymore like you see like puppies or bear cubs and they they play fight yeah right they yeah, roll yeah. around they you know and and we as civilized people we don't do that that's weird i'm laughing but, uh, yeah i tried this i'll tell you the story afterwards but but i i, I tried this and and the, and the short version is um we were part of this you know we did same thing we did sparring i didn't do jujitsu it was um i think it was uh Goju or Gojuru or something like I don't know. It was some uh -huh. some some variant of something, and uh, but it was pretty. It was a pretty violent variant, you know. And and yeah. so my son was in it, and all these kids, you know, at the end of every class, the kids would they would spar, and they and and um, and the guy that was running it, uh, who does a, does a wonderful job, and a six degree black belt or something like that, and it's a giant guy that moves like you know, like, like silk, you know, just, just everything mm -hmm. was so, so he moved beautifully when he was like defending himself, you know, but he, he would direct three or four kids to come after one kid and, you know, in, in a careful way, but, you know, but, but in a way that the kid knew how to get out of at the end of the thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was brilliant, but then they had the adult class next to, like right afterwards. And, and in the short version of the story is I tried this and, uh, and I was having trouble because I have bad knees. But I, but one day I got in a, I sparred with some guy and and he a brown belt and he did a roundhouse kick to my face, and I got <laughs> nearly broke my nose, concussion, the whole thing, and uh, and that was the end of my my martial arts career because I I was I was done with concussions. I've already had them, uh, you know, had them before. So, but um, yeah. But I I I wonder. Uh, well, I wonder two things. One is um, those security guards that 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 twisted your arm that way. The road. If a manager saw that, you can only. I can't even imagine 
you know, you got the drummer on tour, you're twisting, <laughs> <laughs> like, like twisting his arm off. But is there any, uh, you know, is there any worry ever about like your arms are your trade, like man, your fingers are your trade? Like, you know, do you, you know, do you worry about the impact uh, of, of doing this at the level that there is a worry, but there's a worry with anything. Yeah. I mean, you can hurt yourself doing anything in life. Sure. I, no, had, sure. I, have a, I, have. I have a friend who's a, <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who's a great drummer and he just broke his wrist riding his bicycle. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody rides bikes. Yeah. Children ride bikes. Everyone right. rides bikes and, he, and he's out for a couple months uh, professionally because he broke his wrist. Yeah. So, uh, I feel like you can get hurt doing anything. You can hurt. I've hurt myself putting a suitcase in the trunk of my car. Yeah. I've <laughs> thrown out my back, and I'm like, so that doesn't mean that I, I threw take my it back lightly. out shaving once. I, I, I literally, <laughs> I just leaned forward and shaving, and it, and 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 felt it go out. So I, I'm with yeah. you there, and I, you know, I just I was what it, it's a fairly you know. It's just a fairly violent kind of scenario, right? Yeah. So. so basically what I have to do is I have to show up to class and check my ego yeah. and say, listen, I am not a UFC MMA you know, champion. Yeah. I'm a drummer who's doing this part-time. Yeah. So don't go in here and go all aggro on everyone because, <laughs> you know, so I have to go in and I am like the, I am the wet noodle yeah. that it just kind of flops around on the mat and like, and, and I'm very careful. And I, and I make sure like no one feels the need to pulverize me because I'm just here for the fun of it. I'm yeah. just here to learn. I'm not going to try to, you know, kill people. And fortunately, when you, when you put out that kind of energy, you kind of get that energy back. I would imagine that drummers make good martial artists because of the, the a lot of learning martial arts is learning a sequence of, of physical actions you know, of, of, of movements, particularly with your arms and legs, which you, you know, which you obviously are good at, but just, but also just the, the sequencing of it is something that would, would seem to me to be uh, kind of natural, more natural for you than say, you know, a lead guitarist. <laughs> uh, I do think that uh, it, I was a quick learner in the beginning because yeah. of those advantages, because it's like, put your left hand here, then put your right foot here. I'm like, oh, that's, that's what I do. Yeah. But but then then you you just because you have a quick start doesn't mean you that you maintain that. Then reality sets in. We're like, wow, yeah. I cannot hold my own against these guys. And and it was the same. You know, it's funny. It's the same thing that uh, my wife says about salsa dancing. You know, I grew up in New Jersey. My wife grew up in <laughs> Colombia. She's a far better yeah. salsa dancer overall than me. Yeah. But then we went into classes together, and I was acing her, and she was mad. She's like, well, I don't get it. I'm I'm the natural here. And why do you know all these routines and I can't remember them? I'm like, because I'm a drummer. Yeah. It's like when they say just take one, two, three, turn 180, one, two, three, and then do this. And then left hand behind the back and do this. That's like, that's my, that's what I do. Yeah. And she was getting all frustrated with me, like, because I could memorize all these, you know, complex steps. Yeah. There are many reasons why I'm not a good dancer. And that is also one of them. I just, the sequencing, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, as even as a guitar player, I'm, I've, I've never really... I can hear it and I can play it because I can hear it, but I never really learn the chords, you know, like, I mean, I just, you know, I mean, I, I learned the shapes, but I didn't, you know, like the theory behind it and all of the other stuff. I, it was, if I heard it for a second, you know, for even a millisecond, I could fall in, but it was, but I, I never really could 
put a sequence to it. <laughs> hey, speaking of guitar playing, yeah. I was thinking of a story today that involved you. and I, I, You just reminded me. Um, I, I think of this often. We were at some gig together once. I can't remember where it was. I remember there was a it was a bar with a pool table though, uh-huh. and uh, it was you, me, and Diane Ward, a whole bunch of other people, and you were playing this Stratocaster uh, that you had gotten that year. Uh-huh. You're like, hey, check out this guitar. You're playing it. Oh, like, that's cool. You know. You're like, yeah. This is um, at the time they made Fender Stratocasters from Mexico, Japan, and the U.S. Right. And I said, oh, cool. Yeah. And you believe it or not, guess how much this costed? This was like whatever, one hundred seventy nine dollars or something. Yeah. It's the Mexican version. I'm like, you're kidding me. You're like, no, it sounds amazing, right? Like I went to a store and I AB'd like this one, that one, this uh-huh. one, that one. And this one wound up sounding just as good and it cost $500 less. Uh-huh. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And uh, I actually use that as a lesson when it comes to buying any type of instrument. Is like, I don't buy the top of the line. I, yeah. don't, I don't buy things because of price tags. I actually play them. Yeah. And I say, which one right now, if you took all the labels off, which one sounds better today? And which one makes you inspired to play that instrument right now? Yeah. And it's 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 helped me buy many quote unquote student model drums that I have right now in my studio that that, that sound, sound incredible. Yeah. No. I, and, and, that's, I, and I remember that story. That's cool. I, I you know I I don't I don't remember the specific um, night that you're talking about or, or or even which guitar, but but I um, but I could tell you uh, I. Be, Perhaps because I didn't have you know five thousand bucks to go buy you know the nicest guitar and I, maybe I would have if I had it you know but um, but I have uh, bought so many different guitars uh, that way particularly where I, one one in particular is is this five hundred dollar Martin guitar I, I wanted to I I was splitting time between Florida and California but I wanted a guitar out here and um, and so I I was prepared to spend more and I was trying these Taylors and these Gibsons and I spent, and I, you know, nothing, I almost bought this one guitar, but it had a little ding on it and it bothered me. And, and, uh, and then I, I just, just grabbed this little $500, like cheap ass Chinese Martin, you know, guitar that, um, was made out of like the shittiest wood that they probably come up with. And, and it sang, you know, it, it sang so much. It was so reverberant. And um, and it, it really comes down to, like, for, for anybody that buys instruments, it, it, it's, it's the piece of wood they picked up that day. It's whether the people at the factory, it's, it's the humidity in the factory that day, the glue that, you know, the application. And, you know, you, you spend a lot of money for an instrument and eight out of the ten times it's going to be good. But if you spend a lot of money or spend very little money on an instrument, then maybe two out of ten times it's going to be good. But those two out of ten times are just as good as the best guitars that you're going to buy, and um, at least in my opinion, and or and certainly, um, I I mean I've got a I've got a cheap ass Epiphone that is like one of the loudest coolest sound in electrics i've ever you know it was like 150 bucks on craigslist you know so mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 that's the way to go and and uh, you know it's, it's it's some of those guitars are you, you, i can't even part with just because i i think i think they're so special you know versus yeah you know. Uh, and i always feel like i i say this time and time again to friends of mine is like does it make you want to play yeah if if a, if a tool or an instrument or a gadget or whatever yeah. makes you want to use it then that's good. It doesn't matter what the label is. Yeah. And then if you if you buy if you spend all this money and it just sits on a shelf because it doesn't call to you, it doesn't inspire you, it doesn't make you want to use it, 
then it's a waste of money. You should you should unload that thing. I feel that way about the recording equipment. Even like I, 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 you know, I I'm not recording albums here. I'm recording demos and just you know putting songs down. But I find some of the interfaces or like the modern interfaces, they just don't. They're just not as much fun as having the old Tascam. Like I almost bought. I didn't do it, but I almost bought one of those old like Tascam cassette four tracks because I thought. You know, not because they sound good, but just because it was more fun to be creative, bouncing tracks and doing stuff that I, I just frankly don't have the attention span to do on a computer. You know, I still have mine. Do I you? still have my Tascam. I think it's called a two forty four. Yeah, something. yeah. I had I the Yamaha. Have I had the old Yamaha version, which you can't find anywhere anymore. But I've got like fifty different cassette tapes and sitting in storage, mm-hmm. waiting to you know, waiting for yep. to, be, to be embarrassing. You know. Well, Brendan Buckley, thank you uh, for for spending time with with me and 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 the show. I know people are going to enjoy it. And um, if you're interested in learning more about Brendan and his uh, catalog, his large catalog of of music uh, that he's worked on and played for and 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 created, uh, go to brendanbuckley.com. Look him up. Uh, you can hear him on all types of different albums, uh, and hopefully, we'll see you on tour. Uh, with uh with Perry or or someone else in the very near future uh now that now that things are starting to open up and venues are starting to come together and I I don't know about you but I got vaccinated so I'm um this is the first time I've been in LA for 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 more than um well really more than 6 months uh and and not been in covid and and been vaccinated so I feel like I'm I'm ready to burst and, and, and yeah, go out and have ready some to fun. Party. Go ready to go see some sh- <laughs> go see some shows and, and go watch you. So thank you very much for sa- for uh, for doing this and appreciate uh, appreciate you and our history and and uh, that's it. Oh, it's good to see you, and I'm glad we can make this happen.